Well, as we continue in worship here uh, this evening, we want to open the Bible together. So as we uh, turn our hearts and minds this evening to the cross, I want to direct our thoughts to Mark chapter 15. If you'll open your Bibles there with me, uh, Mark 15 verses 37 to 39 will be our text. If you'll uh, open your Bibles there with me. I want to bring a message from these verses that I've titled, uh, Access Granted. Let me read these verses, just these three verses in Mark 15. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of Him saw the way He breathed His last, He said, truly this man was the Son of God. May the Lord write His eternal word on our hearts tonight. You know, we live in a world that's increasingly uh, marked by barriers and restrictions. It seems like everywhere you go today, you need a, an ID to, to enter a lot of buildings. Uh, you need photo IDs to get past security guards. You go, you go through uh, x-ray machines and metal detectors to get into buildings. We need boarding passes and IDs and x-rayed luggage uh, to get on an airplane. Uh, you need passwords now to access your smartphone and your computer. We need PIN numbers to get uh, money out of our own bank account or to charge groceries um, at the store. Uh, to visit friends and family who lived in a gated community, you need an access code. Now, my favorite one is where my son Justin and his wife Natalie live. As I go there and punch in the code, a little kind of strange voice comes on and says, access granted, you know, and these gates come, come open for us. But, but many places are getting more and more restricted and I got online this week and looked at some of the world's most restricted places. Number one on the list was Club 33 in the United States. It was originally a restaurant in Disneyland, uh, but it ended up becoming a secret club that Walt Disney used to entertain high-class people. And there's a secret panel in a doorway, and there's a buzzer there, but you have to know how to use it to get in. And it was recently opened to the first 100 people who applied, and the initial fee is $25,000. Another secret place is the Vatican Secret Archives. Uh, the Vatican Secret Archives belong to the Pope, and you have to get his permission to get in there. And of course, probably the one that people know about best is Area 51, right? It's uh, off limits to pretty much everybody, and, and nobody seems to know what goes on there. I mean, we're told it's a military installation, but uh, people uh, that are UFO uh, conspiracy theorists believe that aliens and UFOs and all of that are found there. Uh, but regardless, either way, uh, Area 51 is one of the most secreted places on earth. So, so daily life for all of us is increasingly filled with restrictions and limited access. But when we look at the Bible, spiritually the same thing was true throughout all of Scripture until the coming of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Man was barred from access to God and there were barriers everywhere. And it all started, if you remember, back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. In Genesis 3.24, it says, So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the tree of life. Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, expelled from the Garden of Eden, and there were cherubim, their angels, and flashing swords so that they could not gain a re-entry. And of course, most of you know, if you've read through the Scriptures, later on in the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, that mobile shrine that they carried with them from place to place, and then later the temple was constructed in Jerusalem. 
But those places throughout their history just shouted out the words constantly, access denied. In fact, uh, Tim Chester, who's a pastor in England, says this, the temple was one big picture of the inaccessibility of God. Uh, the, the entire trim, temple precincts were about restricted access. Back in the temple in Jesus' day, there was a large court on the outside called the Court of Gentiles. Gentiles could go there, but they were excluded from entering into any of the inner courts. And there were warning signs posted everywhere in Greek and in Latin that gave the warning of death, the death penalty if they trespassed into places they weren't supposed to go. Now, thinking about all these places of restricted access reminded me of a story I heard years ago about a, a, the grounds of a convent where a group of nuns lived. And they had a sign out there that said, trespassers will be prosecuted. And underneath it, it said, signed, Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> now, God is merciful, but God is also holy. And because of God's holiness, there was an inaccessibility and a separation before the death of Jesus. If you know anything about the temple, there was that court of Gentiles, and there was a court of women where Jewish men and women could go, then the court of Israel where only Jewish men could go, then the place where only the priests could go, and then inside of all of that in the temple of Jesus' day was a 30-foot room, a 30-foot square room, a cube called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. By any measure, the most restrictive place in human history was the Holy of Holies in the Jewish tabernacle and later in the temple. Only the holiest man, the high priest, from the holiest nation, the nation of Israel, could enter the holiest place on earth on the holiest day of the year. He could go in there one time on the Day of Atonement that Jay just talked about a few moments ago. And he had to bring a blood sacrifice and atonement for sin and only could enter that one day. And again, all of this highlighted the holiness of God and that God is unapproachable. The way to access to God was one of barriers and separation. You had the temple, you had the priesthood, you had sacrifices, all of these things. But when Jesus died on the cross, all of that changed forever. The, the, the temple curtain was ripped in half. And tonight I want us to look at this event that announces to us that access has been granted to those who will trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just mention here briefly that the splendor of this veil that was torn, and fill in a little bit of background. There were two curtains in the temple. There was one uh, that separated the temple from the outer court, and then one that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. Now, scholars go back and forth arguing which one it was, but I think it was the inner veil because theologically that's the one that makes sense because it being torn gives access into uh, the presence of God. And when you read Scripture and Jewish writings of that day, uh, we know about the veil uh, in front of the Holy of Holies that it was blue and purple and scarlet in color, made of linen. I mean, it was fabric of 72 uh, twisted pleats with, 30, with, with 24 threads each. It was probably 60 feet by 30 feet in, in size, 30, uh, 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide, and at least an inch thick, although it, it tells us in Jewish writings it was a hand breadth. Now, some people think it was the width, the, the, the thickness of a hand this way. Others think it's a thickness this way. But it, it was said in, by Josephus and others in that day that when they took it down to wash it, because it would get blood on it and get dirty, that it took 300 priests to wash it. So it's a massive, huge uh, curtain. 
But one of the most fascinating things about this curtain to me is it was embroidered with cherubim upon it. Uh, these uh, highest class of angels were the angels who guard the holiness of God. Now, why were there cherubim on that curtain? Remember what I read in Genesis 3.24, what guarded their entrance back into the Garden of Eden? There were cherubim there. And so these cherubim were guarding the holiness of God in the most holy place, and those cherubim are there guarding this. And of course, um, what it's signifying there is you can't come back to the presence of God, back to the Garden of Eden. When, when the high priest would go through that uh, veil into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, he was going back into God's presence, if you will. That's why the temple and the tabernacle, wherever they were, always faced to the east. Because man was put out to the east of the Garden of Eden. So you always had to go west to come back to God. That's what the, the symbolism of the, the, the temple was all about. It was a coming back to the garden, if you will, back to uh, the presence of God. And that's the splendor of this veil. Now, verse 37 tells us about it splitting. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, it says here, Jesus let out a loud cry. Probably these are the words that John records in his gospel where Jesus cried out, it is finished. And the veil is split from top to bottom. Now, you read some commentators and they'll say, well, over in Matthew's gospel, it says that the same time Jesus is dying here, there's darkness, you remember, for three hours. Uh, The tombs burst open. There's a great earthquake. And that maybe it's the earthquake that caused this veil to tear. The problem with that is it tore from top to bottom, and it tore right down the middle. I mean, if an earthquake caused it, it would probably tear in other places and certainly wouldn't be a a clean tear uh, right down the middle of it. Now, this was clearly a supernatural act. It's as if the, the mighty hands of God came down and grabbed this thick, heavy curtain and tore the thing in half. And you think about this, no animal sacrifice had ever torn that curtain open. I mean, there had been thousands, there had been tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of sacrifices offered for 1,400 years in the tabernacle, then later in these temples. Thousands had been offered. Not one sacrifice from an animal ever tore that uh, veil in half. Only the death of the spotless Lamb of God tore that veil. Now, think about this. When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. When He dies there on the cross... And the temple veil is torn in half. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You remember, that's when Jesus died. But remember, that's when the priest would go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the outer room, the holy place, and offer incense that pictured the prayers of the people going up to God. And the people would gather there outside of the temple and pray. So it's at that very time while a priest is standing in there, Uh, offering this incense and and making the elaborate preparations for the afternoon time of prayer that this happens. And since Passover was a a high holy day, the sense of expectation and excitement would be heightened greatly. Now suddenly when this priest is in there, that massive curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Now how would you like to have been that priest on duty when that happened? I'd always like to, you know, I hope that man became a believer in Jesus. You know, we know from the Gospels and from the book of Acts that many priests put their faith in Christ. Uh, I like to think that that man that was at, and there in that day uh, was one of them who did that. 
But one thing that's interesting, I'll point out, a lot of people don't know this, in that second temple that was there when Jesus was on earth, there was no Ark of the Covenant in there. Remember in the, inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant? There was no Ark of Covenant in the second temple. God's presence never dwelled there. God's presence was in the tabernacle. It was in the presence, it was there in Solomon's temple. But in 586, when Solomon's temple is destroyed, the Ark is taken away. We don't know where it is. Now, you know, there's movies out there that claim to know where it is, but we don't know where it is. Um, most people, probably best scholars, think it's somewhere down hidden under the Temple Mount. we would be brought out again someday. Uh, but, but it was never in that second temple, and God's presence, His glory never came and dwelled there. So think about that. When that thing ripped open, there was nothing in there. That's an interesting thought. Um, a lot of people ask, well, what did the priest do then, the high priest, to go in there on the Day of Atonement? He probably poured the blood on the ground or maybe sprinkled it on the curtain. We don't really know what he did. But that's the, the ripping of this curtain at three in the afternoon when Jesus dies at the time of the evening sacrifice. That temple is ripped from top to bottom. Now you say, well, what's the significance of this for us? Well, one thing we know that's significant about this is that was the end of the old covenant and the sacrificial system. The new covenant was ratified in the blood of Jesus. The, the, the Lord's Supper we just took a few moments ago, Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So we have a dramatic end to the whole Old Testament system of sacrifice. No more lambs needed to be slain for Passover. No more goats had to be offered uh, for the Day of Atonement. God had provided the full, final sacrifice for sin in His Son, the Lord Jesus. But the second thing here that's significant is the way of access to God is open. That barrier, again, that had been there for, for 1,400 years between God and humanity was removed. The door is open to God's presence and it's open through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's Jesus himself who said, I am the door. You have to enter in through me. Look, God's presence is no longer contained in the quiet, dark, curtained off inaccessibility of the most holy place. Uh, those cherubim are no longer there guarding access to God's presence. Uh, the curtain was torn away and those cherubim uh, that were embroidered into that curtain were torn away as well. The writer of Hebrews reminds us, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is His body. So the author of Hebrews likens the body of Jesus to this curtain that was torn. In other words, this verse is saying that what happened to the flesh of Jesus is what happened to that curtain. Now, what happened to Jesus' body? Well, it was torn. It was torn by whips. It was torn by thorns. It was torn by fists. It was torn by nails. Ultimately, it was torn by a spear. But in the horror of the torn flesh of Jesus, we find the glory of an open door, of access into the presence of a holy God. Fifteen years of a curtain-draped, restricted, unapproachable holy of holies was over. We have direct access to God. We have an entrance to the Almighty. Charles Hodge was a great Princeton theologian 
And I love this story about him. It shows something about uh, the type of man he was. I have his theology in my office. I mean, it's profound. But he ordered that the doorknob of his study be lowered sufficiently so that the smallest child would be able to open the door and have access to him at any time. It tells us something about that man. But that's what Jesus Christ did for us. He gave us access to the Father. He he put the doorknob down so that anyone who would receive in Him and trust in Him could come into His presence and have access to Him. You know, as I read about the old covenant and all that happened there, one of the things I find myself saying often is, I'm so thankful I live this side of the cross. Aren't you? I mean, think about living back in those times, in Old Testament times. You could have a relationship with God, with Yahweh, through faith in Him, through these sacrifices. But I'm so glad that I live this side of the cross. There's no separation. There's no barriers. We have direct, immediate, instantaneous access into the presence of God. And the only mediator we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 39, I love this. I wanted to include this verse tonight because... To make sure we get the point of all this, Mark immediately shows us the first person that entered through that veil, if you will, into the presence of God, and it was a Roman centurion, most unlikely of uh, of persons. It says, verse 38, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and then it says, when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, and had seen a lot of people die. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The first person to walk through that torn veil, if you will, into the presence of God was the man who had presided over the death of Jesus, a Roman centurion. You talk about grace. The first person that God allowed to walk through that veil and have access to him was a brutal, hardened man who'd overseen the death and the brutalizing of Jesus. I mean, to me, if this doesn't show us that anybody can come to Christ, what possibly could? Access is open to all people who will come to Jesus Christ and receive Him and trust in Him. One thing I wanted to mention here, this is a beautiful kind of a literary device in Mark's gospel. You have this word that's used for the the, the veil the temple was torn or split. It's found twice in Mark's gospel. The first time is Mark chapter 1, verse 10, where it says, when Jesus was being baptized, you remember, the heavens were torn open, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There was a confession that Jesus is God's Son. The only other time the word torn is used is when the, te- the veil is torn from top to bottom, and right after that we have the centurion who confesses, truly this man was the Son of God. So by putting that at the beginning of his gospel and the end of his gospel, Mark is calling the reader to make this same confession, to make the confession that Jesus is the Son of God and to enter into the presence of God through this veil now that has been torn for us. I love uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers. He has a great statement I read this week about the torn veil. He said, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom so that big sinners like me might fit through. If you ever see any pictures of of Spurgeon, he was kind of a a heavy set kind of a guy, but he said it was ripped in half so that big sinners like me could go through it. I love that. Anyone can come who will trust in Jesus. 
Romans 5, 2 says, through Jesus we have gained access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We stand in the grace of God, and we stand there because we've gained access through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our access into the presence of God. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go play at a really exclusive golf course down in Dallas called Preston Trails Golf Club. Some of you may have played there. Uh, George W. Bush plays there several times a week. We didn't see him the day I was there. Um, No women are allowed on the premises, ever. They have one party a year when they can invite their wives at Christmas. Otherwise, no women. They're not allowed on the premises. Uh, They told me one time they had something happen there, and they wouldn't even let a female police officer on the premises. I mean, that's how restrictive it is. For those of you that know golf, Jordan Spieth, you know, won the Masters several years ago, and he came there. He lives in Dallas, came to Preston Trails to hit some balls. They wouldn't let him there because he wasn't 21. You have to be a man, you have to be a 21-year-old male to come there and to play. So this place is exclusive. Now, I know you're saying, well, how in the world did you get access there then? Well, that's a good question. It's because of the guy that I was with. Um, There's a guy I've met down there, a guy named Scott Olson, a a, a generous, kind, gracious man. He took me and my friend Philip DeCourcy down there. Many of you know Philip. And uh, we wouldn't have gotten past the front gate, but all we had to do was just say his name. We'd say, we're here with Scott. And they'd say, yeah, it's fine. Come on in. They'd bring a card out to you. Get your golf clubs. Uh, We had access to to that place that's denied to almost everybody else. And all I had to say the whole day is I'm with him. I'm with Scott. That's all I had to say. I, I didn't get in because of who I am. I got in because of who I was with. I got in because of the one that I knew. And we played all day, and you could eat stuff wherever you wanted. And we were at the pro shop at the end of the day, and he was going to take a shower to go to lunch. And he told me and Philip, he said, you guys just stay here in the pro shop and just tell them you're with me, and you can get anything you want, and then meet me up here for lunch. Now, he left, and we looked at each other and thought, did he really mean that, we wonder? <laughs> we thought about getting new golf clubs and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, we didn't. We both, we both just got a hat and a shirt's all we got. But... but all we had to do is just mention his name. We had total access to everything that was there. And I thought about that this week because that's probably the most exclusive place I've ever been. And in the same way, our access to God is granted because of Jesus. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. We have access because of the one we know, not because of anything we've done in ourselves. And when we say the name of Jesus, we're granted complete access, total access into the presence of God. Let me close with just one thought here tonight about this. You know, as believers, most of us here tonight know Christ. If you don't, that's what you need to do tonight is believe in Him. You need to avail yourself of that access and and come to God through Jesus. But for those of us who are believers, there's a, a, a tragic thing we often do in our lives, and that is we oftentimes put the veil back up. We put that veil back up because of sin in our lives or guilt, and we think that somehow... God doesn't love us anymore or care about us, and that somehow our access has been limited to God. I read uh, a couple of chapters this week in a a book. I read different things this time of year, and I went back and looked at that book by Max Lucado. He chose the nails. And this is what he says. This is beautiful. He says, We are welcome to enter into God's presence any day, any time. God has removed the barrier that separates us from Him. The barrier of sin is down He's removed the curtain. But we have a tendency to put the barrier back up. Though there is no curtain in a temple, there's a curtain sometimes in our hearts. Like the ticks of the clock or the mistakes of the heart. 
And sometimes, no, oftentimes, we allow those mistakes to keep us from God. Our guilty conscience becomes a curtain that separates us from God, and as a result, we hide from our Master. He says, maybe you've allowed a veil of guilt to, become, to come between you and your Father. You wonder if you could ever feel close to God again. The message of the torn flesh is you can. God welcomes you. God is not avoiding you. God is not resisting you. The curtain is down. The door is open. God invites you in. And then this is, this is powerful. Listen to these words tonight. He says, don't trust your conscience. Trust the cross. That's good, isn't it? Don't trust your conscience. Trust the cross. The blood has been spilt and the veil has been split. You are welcome in God's presence. Again, maybe you've never come into God's presence for the very first time. Do that tonight as we pray. Don't leave here tonight with, with distance between you and God and separated from Him by your sins. Jesus' flesh was torn. The veil was torn. You can have access by simply coming, as Jay mentioned earlier, just recognizing your guilt and accepting that free pardon that Jesus offers you. But maybe you're a believer here tonight and a guilty conscience has put the veil back up, if you will, between you and God. Don't trust your conscience, trust the cross. The blood has been spilt, the veil has been split. You're welcome in God's presence. That's the good news tonight. Access has been granted. Let's pray together. Father, we look to you tonight and I again pray if there's anyone here tonight who's never trusted Jesus for the first time, that they might realize that access is granted in His name. They put their faith and their trust and their hope in Him alone. And Father, I pray if there's someone here tonight who's put the curtain back up in their life because of guilt or maybe some terrible sin that they've committed, that they'll realize that once we've come for the first time, we still have unlimited access to You. And we can come again and again in the blood of Jesus Christ we can come into your presence and enjoy fellowship with you. Oh, Father, don't let anyone tarry tonight. Don't let anyone stay away. May we all rush into the presence of our loving God tonight through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's torn away that veil for us. Oh, Father, we thank you for these things. We thank you for our Savior. May his name be lifted up. May his name be praised forever. Ask these things in his name. Amen.